last night I was putting Eli to bed. I said, I don't know. We were talking about getting ready for the sermon and some of that. And I said, um, what do you think when Daddy preaches on, on Sundays? And he said, well, sometimes it's pretty intense. <laughs> I was like, well, tomorrow ain't no different, boy. Here we go. <laughs> um, I'm excited today. Uh, Rachel asked me to preach, and so I feel like the Lord won't let me go, won't release me yet to get off of the worship train. So we're going to keep diving deeper on the worship train, maybe the ending of it, but um, we're going deep one more time. So today is a worship experience, all right, which means I need you to participate with me based on what the word of the Lord says. So it's going to be pretty different, and you might feel a little uncomfortable, but just know that the person next to you, look at them, they're going to feel uncomfortable too. And the person on the other side, look at them, they're going to feel the same thing. So we're all in the same boat together. We're all going to feel a little uncomfortable as we experience the thing that the word of the Lord says through worship, okay? So at the beginning of the year, we talked about our values. And one of the, the number one value that we talked about is that his presence is everything. Say it with me. His presence is everything, this place is called Bethel. It's the house of the Lord. It's the place in the Bible where the heavens opened and the Father came and spoke and the angels were coming and going and they were descending. And in a moment, in an encounter with the Lord, a person's life changed forever. And so we are put on this earth, in this part of town, to contend for an open heaven-like encounter. Um, just as it is in heaven, so it needs to be in this room. And so we're going to push and push and push and push until the day we die, because that's what God called us to do. So his presence is everything. And then we spent several weeks talking about the vision for the year, which is God's abundant life for you. The vital life, the, vi the vitality of Christ in you and all that comes with it. But those two things are inextricably um, twined together. Did I say that word right? They're twined together, and you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have the most amazing, abundant life that the Lord promises you in the word of God without extravagant, powerful worship as it is in heaven, so it is on the earth. You can't. So we're going deeper again. Our four pillars um, we have this, this vision of the church. When the Lord called us to plant the church, this is what he said to us. He said, look, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they are the bedrock of the church. And then there's going to be a team of believers that are like the foundation of the church. And they're linked together and they're laying their lives down in service to the people so that people can become everything that they're supposed to be. So that the church can thrive and come to life. And then there's going to be four pillars that hold up the house. And the four pillars that hold up the house are to learn how to love like heaven loves, to pray and to worship, and to understand everything that happens here happens because we connected with heaven through prayer and worship. And then to equip and release people, so not just equip people, but also launch people out into their destinies, and not just inside of the church, but in all of life, whatever you're called to do, that's our heart. And then God's radical heart for rescuing people who are far from him, which we talked about, and we're going to be talking about that a lot more. But so today, we're going to talk about why is prayer and worship such a huge chunk of who this house is. So before we get there, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to be really, really, really honest with yourself. So everybody close your eyes. Bow your heads. <laughs> um, and I want you to take a moment, and I want you to rate yourself in your ability to worship the Lord in a corporate gathering on a weekly basis. 
Give yourself a number, one through ten. Ten being the best, one being I'm terrible. Rate yourself. Just be honest. I don't want you to be down on yourself, but I just want you to be honest. How good are you at worshiping the Lord? The way that worship happens in heaven as a comparison, that would be a ten. Where are you? And then the next question, keep your eyes closed. When you show up on a Sunday morning and you walk through the doors of that auditorium, this church or any other church, you walk through the doors, what is your typical mode of operation in worship? Picture yourself. Do you usually just stand there, stare at the screen? Do you usually sit? Are you passionately worshiping with your body? What's your typical MO? All right. So, again, I'm not trying to get you to condemn yourself. That's not the goal. But I want to take a moment and compare to see what the standard of heaven is and where are we currently and where is the Lord calling us into, okay? So, aside from helping other people know the love of God, learning to develop the skill of worship might be one of the most important things that you can do in your life before you get to heaven. Now, I do believe the number one thing that's most important to do before you get to heaven is tell people about Jesus and his love because that is the only thing, from my understanding, that you cannot do for eternity. You have a very short window in your life to proclaim who Jesus is, but when you get to heaven, you can worship forever, you can study the word forever, you can enjoy God forever, you can go deep in relationship with him forever, but you will never again be able to share the gospel with somebody in heaven. So that's one of the most important things that you're on this earth to do. But aside from that, we're going to talk about that in a few weeks. But aside from that, learning to develop the skill of worship, I think, is one of the most important things that you can possibly do. This skill, it's one of the most tangibly practical things that you can learn to do that will change your life forever. Because if you learn to truly worship the way that heaven and that God says to worship, it can change everything in your life in a moment. You can be in the lowest places, but if you know how to really worship the Lord, you can come into his presence, and in a moment he can change it all. He can change your perspective. You can begin to see who he really is. You can hear his heart. You can come near to him. You can allow him to comfort you. No matter what situation you go through, he's there because you know how to meet with him in a powerful way. And this is a skill, this is like a muscle that you can develop. It's your choice. This is not by accident. This is not like I just stumbled into it. Like this is your choice. You can become an amazing worshiper according to the word of the Lord. Let's take a look at Ezekiel 28. There's this scripture that talks about the king of Tyre, but people, most people believe that this is also a, a dual prophetic word to the king of Tyre comparing him to Lucifer himself. And so here's what it says. Uh, Thus says the Lord, you seal up the sum full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You, thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, the diamond, beryl, the onyx, jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and the gold. So just imagine Lucifer before the earth was created, God crafted him to be the most beautiful angel that you could imagine, covered in jewels. 
to display the splendor of God, to reflect the splendor of God. And then his job was to lead everybody else into the presence of God. And God made him like this. It says, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that, was, that you were created. What does that mean? This basically is saying that inside the physical body of Lucifer, God created Lucifer to have tambourines and wind instruments physically implanted in his body. So that Lucifer couldn't even walk without worshiping the Lord. The wind of heaven couldn't blow without God being worshipped through the physical body of this angel. Because his job was to bring glory and honor to the Lord and to lead everybody else into worshipping the Lord. And he was to reflect the beauty of the Lord. That's how important this piece of God's heart is to worship him. That he created the <laughs> Lucifer, the enemy, to worship him with all of his being. It's a huge deal in God's heart. Psalms 22, 3. This says this, Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. So get that. God himself is enthroned upon the praises of his people. Are you his people? Yes. yes. God is enthroned upon your praises. So close your eyes and picture God sitting on a throne but that throne is created out of the praises of the people who love him and honor him and worship him. And so when you show up in a corporate gathering or when you're in your car by yourself or you're in your own life worshiping the Lord, you are literally creating a physical throne of worship for the Lord to come inhabit your praises, to come and sit in this place. We worship this morning and here in just a little bit, we're going to worship and we're going to create a place for God to come and sit and then if you look at the Hebrew words here, the word for enthroned upon is yashab. It means to dwell, to remain, to sit, or to abide. And it's translated in these various ways as well. Strong's definition says to sit down specifically as the judge, in ambush or in quiet, just waiting to do what he does. And by implication, it means to dwell, to remain, causatively to settle or to marry so get that, you worship, you pour out your praises to God and God comes and settles in and he comes and nestles in and he brings all of his goodness and his presence along with him and he, he brings life, abundant life into your world, amen? King David understood this. There's a scripture in 1 Samuel 5, two through three and basically the story is from when, uh, they, it was before they had a king. So it was right before Saul was king excuse me, the, the Israelites were going out to fight the Philistines. And previously, the Israelites had gone to battle and the Lord would say, take the Ark of the Covenant with you, take it out there, and I'm gonna be with you and I'm gonna help you win. And so then the Philistines come again and the Israelites are not super close to the Lord in this moment and they just assume that's the pattern of winning the war. So they quickly rush out, they grab the Ark of the Covenant, they run out into battle and the Philistines whoop up and they steal the Ark of the Covenant to become their own God, one of many. They steal it, they take it away. And Israel is left decimated, thinking like, what in the world, our God just got stolen. What have we done, oh my goodness. 
And so what happens, which I love this, the Lord is not afraid to fight for himself. Like he doesn't need the Israelites to, to fight. He's good on his own. And so the story, which is one of my favorite stories of all of the Bible, it goes on to talk about how the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant into the temple of Dagon. And in the temple of Dagon, which was their, one of their big gods, they put it in there as if, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is going to worship their god. And in the morning, they wake up and they come to worship Dagon, and Dagon has fallen flat on his face before the Ark of the Covenant, worshiping the Lord. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is this? this who, who did this? And they're trying to find who did it. They set him back up, this big statue. And then in the next morning, they come again, and Dagon has fallen over again, but this time... His head and his hands have been chopped off, face down before the Lord. <laughs> and so then that starts a series for seven months where the Philistines are like, what the heck is this thing? Who is this God? What do we do with this? I have no idea. And they try to keep it in their camp for seven months. They're like, well, get it away from Dagon because clearly something's going on here. And they send it to another place. And destruction follows everywhere that they send it. For seven months, they move it from place to place to place. And everywhere it moves, cancer breaks out, disease breaks out, rats show up, tumors show up, people are dying. And so after seven months of trying to keep the Ark of the Covenant and not honoring the Lord rightly, they're like, okay, this thing is going to ruin our whole land. And it's not even an army. It's not even a people. It's just... This weird, creepy thing. <laughs> and so they get together all of the kings, and they call together all of the sorcerers, all of the magicians, all of the diviners, anybody. They're like, anybody in the whole world who knows anything about the spirit world, please come. We need some help quick. And so they gather together. They have a little council, and they say, what do we do with this thing? And they're like, well, clearly, this is the real, true God. You have to treat it with honor and respect. Why don't you send it back to Israel? And they send it back with a sacrifice of praise that were gold-shaped tumors and gold rats in the, in the ark. It's a crazy story. Um, and they say, well, we'll put it on a, on, a, on a cart with an ox, and if it goes right back to where it belongs, then we know this was God, and we should leave him alone. And sure enough, whoop, like a beeline, straight to where it belongs. And so then the, the Israelites, they keep the ark, and they leave it in that place. It was called Kirim Jerim. Kirith Jerim. <laughs> Close enough. Um, they keep it there for 20 years. And then David becomes king after Saul. And David has a heart for honoring the Lord rightly. And so he says, guys, it's time to bring this back rightfully to Jerusalem where it belongs to the city of God. Let's bring it back. And long story short, there's a whole lot that goes to it. But when David brought this Ark of the Covenant back to where it rightly belongs, he decided to have 288 prophetic singers and 4,000 musicians to minister before the Lord day and night, day and night, day and night. And this continued. This was called the Davidic order of worship. It continued in Jerusalem at the temple or at the uh, tabernacle for 33 years. And during that time of 33 years, previously Israel had been full of war. During that time of 33 years, there was no war in Jerusalem as they worshiped the Lord, honoring him rightly. So then this continues, and the Bible says that 
there were seven other times where the Davidic order of worship was reinstituted into the land of the Israelites. It happened with Solomon, Jehoshaphat, Joaz, Hezekiah, Josiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, and again with the Essenes uh, right before Jesus. You know what that says to me? That means that they stopped seven times. Okay, so when they worshiped in spirit and truth, when they gave it their all, with David, starting with David and then continuing, every single time they instituted this Davidic order of worship, there was tremendous abundance and blessings and peace and prosperity like the world has never seen. And then every time they stop, it stops. And then they start again. And systematically, every time they reinstitute a rightful heart of worship in the country, everything changes. That says to me that worshiping the Lord well is not easy. Because if it was easy, it would have never stopped. But it's worth it if you will fight through it yourself personally to learn to worship the Lord well. And so just a little caveat, if you feel like you're in a place where you're not receiving the abundance that is promised to you, the blessings and the, the kindness and the goodness. If you're not in a relationship with the Lord like you want, you're just like, what is going on? Take a look at worship in your own heart, in your own life, what's happening in worship, and let's compare that to what's happening in heaven and fight hard to get it right, and then I promise you amazing things will happen. Now, I also want to be really clear. This is not about works. It's not like, it's not a religious thing. This is not like, hey, okay, well, God needs you to sing five songs every day, and then the blessings come. No, it's about your heart with the Lord and honoring who he really is. There is no formula. There's no structure. There's no religious set way to do it, but it's about your heart connecting with him. All right, let's go to the next piece, which is worship is warfare. The Lord loves to use worship as warfare. Second Chronicles 20 verses 15 through 17. This is, this is amazing. So Israel is faced with an impossible situation. They're about to be attacked and decimated by two armies who are bigger and stronger than them, attacking them at the exact same time. And Israel seeks the Lord as the only possible solution. And the Holy Spirit falls on a man named Jehaziel, a member of the family of Levitical priests. And Jehaziel said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourself, stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out and fight them, face them, for the Lord is with you. And then what happens next is amazing. Check this out. I think it's the next slide. What happens next, the king appoints those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. And as they went out before the army and said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. They're worshiping the Lord on the front lines of the war. And when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the enemies who had come against Judah so that they were routed. Okay, so just close your eyes. Picture this. This 
scrawny army is about to be whooped up on by two simultaneous armies. And the Lord says, go out, but don't go out with your most vicious, powerful warriors. Instead, send out the worshipers first. And the worshipers lead the way. And they simply say this, give thanks to the Lord for his love. What's it say? It disappeared. For, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord for his lo- ever, loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And they sing it and they sing it and they proclaim it. And they're just, they're literally walking to their deaths. They're walking straight up to the enemy, this huge army, and they're about to be decimated. And as they worship the Lord, the Lord sets ambushes against their enemies without them doing anything. And the Lord scares the pants off the enemy. They run away. Israel chases after them and takes over. And then the next part, what's the next slide? It says this. It says that it took days to sweep up the spoils of this war that all they did was worship. The worshipers were sent out first and the foes of Israel fought and defeated one another instead. Israel collected the spoils of war so much that it took them three days to bring it back home. This means that Israel was better off after being threatened with assault from their enemy than before. Amen? So what's that say to you? We, we love this song talking about worship will be my response. Worship is my warfare. There's several songs that talk about it. When you worship the Lord in spirit and truth, it's like the enemy's coming at you and you're standing there and you're about to go to war and the Lord is like, hey, I'm up here, I'm ready to go Just give me a spear, give me a gun, give me something to use, give me something to throw at the enemy. And then when you choose to worship the Lord, it's like you toss up to him a weapon of some kind and he grabs it and then bam. And he's able to rout your enemy, make them run away like scared little girls. (laughs) Amen? Worship is warfare. This is the last principle here and then we're gonna dig into some Hebrew scriptures and Psalms. This next principle is that when there's no worship, there's no rain. So what you see throughout the whole Old Testament, and even today, if you go to Israel, you're gonna hear them talk about how precious rain is. And there's this very clear understanding in the people of Israel that if there's no rain, there must be sin in the land. They've done something wrong because rain's not coming. And so then they go, they go on big national fasts to get right with God, and then rain comes. And the Lord has just implemented this throughout the history of who they are. So in Zechariah 14, 17, this is written after Jerusalem has been dispersed and God was calling them back. The Lord said this specifically, If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. So here's the principle. When there's no worship... There's no, okay, there's no worship, there's no rain. Now, I know you you can say, hey, this is just one scripture out of the whole Bible, and this was for one specific, like, yes, but in context, this is truth. If you want to talk about the rain of heaven coming into your life, if you want to talk about the blessings, the abundance, the kindness, like the goodness, all that comes with the Lord, call that rain, If you're not worshiping, you're not getting rain in your life. No worship, no rain. And there's so many places through the Bible where this was truth for them. But here it says it most clearly, no worship, no rain. But what that means for you is that if you worship, 
you get rain. So simple. If you worship, you get rain. The, the life of God, the river of God, it comes into your life and it changes everything that's around you. So let's recap. I'm going to save the recap. Let's do these Hebrew words. Let's look at Psalms. This, very rarely do I wish I could read Hebrew. <laughs> um, but going through these Psalms, I'm like, oh my gosh, the English language is so lacking <laughs> in so many ways. Here's an example. Psalms 104. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Okay, that's a nice scripture. We've all heard this before. When you come into worship, come with thanksgiving. Simple enough, right? Okay, let's look at what the Hebrew actually says. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Todah. Todah means lift up your hands in adoration. This is where the experience begins. So the Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Put your hands up. Todah. In an act of adoration. And into his courts with praise, which is philah, which is an act of public adoration. Say, Jesus, I love you. Say, Father, I love you. There's none like you. I publicly declare there is none like you. Be thankful, yada, which is to lift up your hands in worship as you cast your praises to God. Cast your praises to the Lord with your physical body. Be thankful. God, I give you my praises. I give you my worship. I'm casting them to you. And bless, which is barak. To kneel down or to bow down as an act of reverence. So I want us to do it. If you're physically capable, I would like for you to kneel down now. If you're not, there's no judgment, no condemnation. But if you are at all physically able, I want you to experience in your body what's happening when you worship like this. So let's do this together. Enter his gates by lifting your hands in adoration to God. Go into his courts with an act of public recognition of your love. Father, we love you. There's none like you. There's none like you in all the earth. You are the best. You are the most beautiful. You are the most powerful. There's none like you. Lift your hands in worship as you cast your praises to him and kneel down and bow down in honor of his great name. Thank you, Lord. You can be seated. Can you feel how when you physically respond in worship the way that the Bible says, your spirit interacts in a new way? Let's look at the next one. Psalms 149, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise. Great. That's a nice little psalm. Sounds good. What does it actually mean? The next slide. Praise is halal. It's to clamor foolishly, raving and celebrating the Lord. <laughs> what does that even look like? I have no idea. <laughs> but to clamor foolishly, raving and celebrating the Lord. Sing, which is sheer. This is strolling along and singing like a minstrel. 
strolling along. You're just, you just can't contain it. You're just strolling along, singing of the goodness of the Lord. The law, pay adoration to God in the general public in the assembly of the saints. So when you put it all together, this sweet little verse transforms. Show me the first version of it. Next up, there you go. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song in his praise. But really, what is it? Next, next, there you go. Clamor foolishly, raving and celebrating the Lord, strolling along, singing like a minstrel to the Lord, a new song, and paying adoration to God in the general public, in the assembly of the saints. Amen? Let's go to the next one. We're just going to go through a bunch of these to help us see what the heart of the Hebrew words actually mean. Barak, it means to kneel or to bow, to give reverence to God as an act of adoration. It implies continual conscious giving place to God to be attuned to him and his presence. I will bless the Lord. I will barak. I will kneel down and bow to the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and be thankful to him and bow down and kneel before him, giving him reverence continually. The next one is ghoul. It means to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. Are there any ghouls in the room? <laughs> Psalms 32, 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. If there's any ghouls in the room, stand up. We're going to spin around. Psalms 32, 11, be glad in the Lord and ghoul. <laughs> be glad in the Lord and ghoul, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in hearts. Amen? Let's look at the next one. Halal, it means to praise or to make a show or rave about. We talked about that one already, but Psalms 22, 23, you who fear the Lord. Make a show and rave about him, all you descendants of Jacob. Glorify him and fear him, all you offspring. Renan, it means to creak or to emit a stridulous sound, to shout aloud for joy. We can all do this. Psalms 98.4, shout joyfully to the Lord. Wait, 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 that's not the one. Rejoice is the one. You ready? Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song and rejoice! Renan, to shout aloud for joy. I can't say this one. Shakchaka. <laughs> to, to depress or to lay prostrate in homage or loyalty to God, to bow down, to fall down flat. Psalms 29:2. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name and uh, glory due his name, and then lay completely flat, depressing your body to the earth as much as you physically can in homage to the Lord. I'm not going to make you do it. But I want you to do it in worship in a minute. <laughs> Thank you. Sheer, we already talked about that. Todah. This is an extension of the hand, adoration, confession, sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. You see people like 
tossing their hands up. I think what you'll find is as you worship, a lot of times you find yourself naturally doing these things and you don't understand why. You're like, why is my body flailing about? Why am I jumping? Why am I spinning? This is weird. It's because your spirit understands how to worship the Lord in your flesh. And it just comes out. But this is what the Lord proclaims for you to do as you truly worship him. And so when you can't worship him, when you walk through the door and you feel like, man, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not getting there today. It ain't happening. Bull honky. (laughs) You have the choice. You have the choice to make your physical body worship the Lord. And when you do, your spirit will also respond. Yada, this is to use or to hold out the hand, to throw as if you're throwing a stone or an arrow at or away. Yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Psalm 61.8, so I will sing and throw praises at your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. A lot, it means to jump for joy, exalt, to be joyful, to rejoice and triumph. But let all those who rejoice put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be jumping for joy in you. Kafar. This means to score with a mark or to keep score, to inscribe, to enumerate, to recount, to remember, to celebrate, to show forth, to speak, to talk, to tell. Psalms 9.14, that I may forever keep score of all of your promises and all of your praises and I'm going to forever tell everybody I see of how good you are. As you're in worship, do you ever find yourself like, God, you're so good. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. You're recounting. You are kafaring in that moment. That is worship to the Lord. Dagal, this means to flaunt or to raise a flag. Do we have any flags in the room today? We don't, do we? Do we have any? No? If I had one. I don't know how to flaunt things, but <laughs> I'm going to flaunt the flag, right? <laughs> De Gaulle, to flaunt, to raise the flag, to be conspicuous, to set up banners. Psalms 25, we will rejoice in your salvation and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners and flaunt them as we raise them to the Lord. Gaul, it means to call aloud a voice or a sound, a bleeding, a crackling, a cry, fame, lightness, lowing, noise, proclaiming, singing, sound, thunder, voice, and yell. Psalms 98.4, it says, shout joyfully to the Lord. This one's more of like a, like a moaning, like a cry, like deep inside, letting it out. Ah! Come on, God! Gall, break forth in song. Rejoice and sing your praises. Karar, 2 Samuel 6, 14. Close your eyes and picture David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And every few steps they sacrifice an animal and then they dance with joy. David in that moment was Karar. He was dancing and whirling about with all of his might. Makkah. I'm so bad at these... 
to rub or to strike your hands together, to clap in exultation. Psalms 98.8, let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. Raise your hand if you found yourself randomly clapping in worship and you're like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but this is right. <laughs> I did it today many times. It's because it's what the Bible says. It's how we were made to worship him. Regard, it means to stamp or to stomp, to spring about wildly or for joy. We have a few regarders around here. Every so often, something will break out in worship and they'll be just frolicking along the, around the room, jumping as high as possible, and I love it. First Chronicles 15, 29. And it happened as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, Saul, Saul's daughter, looked through the window and saw King David stamping and stomping and springing about wildly for joy with noise and shouting. This is the last one. Ruah. It means to split the ears with sound, to shout for alarm or joy, to blow an alarm, make a joyful noise, shout for joy, sound an alarm. Joshua 6.20. So the people, ruah. And when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell flat down. Then the people went into the city, every man straight in before him, and they took the city. I don't know if this is still true, but about a decade ago, my father-in-law was looking into the, the walls of Jericho. And there was a, a theory that the walls of Jericho actually literally fell into the earth, like straight down, 40 feet, just boom. Because they had found a section of wall that went just straight down. <laughs> So we're going to do Ruah together. You can close your ears if you need to, if it's too loud. But I want you to shout like a, as powerful as you possibly can in worship to the Lord. Okay? One, two, three. Woo! Yeah! Amen. <coughs> Ruben, you can come on up. We'll, we'll start worship in a second. So this is a, our recap. The Bible regularly calls for your worship to include kneeling, bowing down, laying prostrate before the Lord, spinning and dancing and whirling, shouting and screaming like an alarm that splits the ears, foolishly raving about, strolling and singing along, jumping and stomping and clapping and lifting your hands and throwing your hands about, recounting his goodness, waving flags and banners. And my exhortation to you is that if you aren't currently using your physical body in worship, There's a whole new world for you to enter into. And I believe the promise of the Lord is that when you enter into it, you're going to find that abundant life is just sitting there waiting for you. When you come through those doors to worship, you have the choice to begin to worship like the Bible talks about. And it's super easy, like so easy to walk through the doors and not feel like it. Like, oh, Grant, you don't know. My life, my week was crappy. 
I had a bad week. Bad things happened. I'm tired. I, I got bills to pay. I got this happened. So-and-so stabbed me in the back. It's easy to do that and to come in and to just stand before the Lord and just worship. This is not worship. That is not the worship that's going to bring breakthrough. That's not the worship that's going to bring life. That's not the worship that, the, that is pleasing to the Lord. That's not the worship that creates a throne for the Lord to come sit upon your life. That's not what he said. And so when you walk through the doors, I'm exhorting every single person in the room, make the choice to walk through the doors and say, regardless of what my life is like, I'm going to worship the way God said today, and I'm going to watch him show up and do amazing things in my life. I'm going to push myself harder than I've ever pushed myself to physically worship the Lord in power and in truth, and I'm going to trust that my spirit's going to wake up like it's never woken up before. And then the last little bit of practical is that as you step in to worship, so you have the choice to physically take your spirit places, but at times you'll get distracted because we are sinful people and we're full of flesh. <laughs> but you have the choice to re-engage at any point along the way. For me personally, as I begin to worship, I will use the words as a, like a crutch to kind of get me going. Let's like kickstart this thing. Let's get going. But then as soon as I feel something in my spirit taking me somewhere else, I'm off to the races with that thing. And maybe it's recounting his goodness. Maybe it's being thankful before him. Maybe it's a picture of me on my knees or laying prostrate before the Lord. But whatever it is, as soon as that thought pops in my head, if I'm obedient to follow him in that next step of worship, the Holy Spirit will lead you into the most beautiful places of worship that will then bring breakthrough and revelation and power and anointing into your life. Amen? So stand up. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to worship. We've got four songs to worship and my exhortation is just do what you got to do. <laughs> just push yourself harder than you've ever pushed yourself to try to worship the way that the Bible says. Father, we just thank you we lift our hands to you. We acknowledge that you are God of all the universe. We acknowledge that there's none like you. We acknowledge that there's nobody that loves like you do. We acknowledge that you care for us better than anybody else in the whole world. Father, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus. We're so thankful for everything that happened on the cross. We're so thankful because of his blood that we're able to stand before your presence, even though we don't deserve it, even though we are sinful and gross in, in your eyes because of our flesh, you covered over us and you allow us to be in your family. You allow us to be in Christ. You allow us to sit next to you on the throne. You allow us to be with you at your table and to lead us all the days of our life. Father, you are so good and we worship you this morning. We exalt you this morning. We lift you high above all others. We lift you high above all others. We proclaim there is no other God but you. There is no other force on earth as strong as you. There is no other force on earth as omnipresent as you, as omniscient as you, as loving as you, as powerful as you. There is none other above you, Father. You are above it all you up and we exalt you this morning and we worship you and with all of our hearts we worship you this morning and father i'm asking
asking that you would release in this house the ability to worship you in spirit and truth according to the word of God.